What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Policy Plug. This is the space where we humanize the people who influence policy and we bring the policy to the people. So listen, Tennessee has been on my mind a lot lately, especially as we have seen the murder of Tyree Nichols. Um, and then as we have now witnessed the erosion of democratic norms, um, the silencing of black voices and black politicians, um, speaking more intentionally about Justin Pearson and Justin Jones, uh, two righteous brothers who've been standing up for the cause. Uh, but behind every story, there is also a context, a history, um, people who have been laying the groundwork, people who have been doing the work in any and every community, people like you. Um, and so with that, I am pleased to be able to introduce to the policy plug none other than Odessa Kelly. Let's clap it up. Hey. Welcome to the Policy Plug, Odessa. How you doing? What's up, brother? I'm glad to be here. Good, good, good. I'm digging, I'm digging the vibe. There's a vibe about you that's just like <laughs> serious but laid back. You know what I mean? Substantive. Let me say that. It's substantive but laid back. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Like, who is Odessa? Man, thank you for the question. Um, I'm a hood kid, like anyone else. I'm from Nashville, Tennessee. Okay. You know, deep south. Uh, you know, uh, grew up in a predominantly black, you know, working poor, because even poor people work. Yeah. <laughs> community um, that is now a case study for gentrification. You know, um, I was a pretty good athlete. Uh, what sport? Uh, basketball, track, um, volleyball. Come on, all the around. things. Yeah, athlete, you know. So the shooting dice counts as a sport. I was good. Listen, <laughs> it is. It, it, look, it helps pay some bills you for know, some. <laughs> you know, but yeah, um, I decided to lean uh, harder into school and those type of activities. Ended up getting a scholarship. Went to Tennessee State University. Okay. So I hooped there as well. Okay. Graduated and, brother, just like a lot of other people, when I graduated, I had no idea what I was going to do. Yeah. Thought I was going to go to the WNBA. NBA, I didn't care. I was just ready to dunk on somebody. Right. <laughs> and, um, yeah, on my 23rd birthday, I my dad did some petty stuff. He uh, he ended up giving me a birthday gift. It was a box, and inside of it, it had a pair of scissors for me to cut up my credit cards and a job application. Oh. And that's how I started working for Parks and Recreation. I was a city employee for about 14 years. So you literally started local. You started in this yeah. thing local. Yeah, I started, and I loved it. You know, and I liked the show Parks and Rec. Yeah, it was, yeah, That yeah. was my job. I loved it. I did Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, hung out with the seniors in the morning, you know, um, was running sports leagues and was really good at it. And I loved my job. But also the reality of it is, is that I was living check to check, mm. you know, and this job where I had to go get a master's degree to get into mental management. Yeah. Had me $60,000 in debt. On top of that, you know, I became a, I became a parent at a very young age. Okay. So me just trying to figure out adulthood like so many of us do. Man, I just looked up one day and I was 28, 29 years old, like, damn. And all of this is just working. Right. You know, I was working so hard trying to make it because Nashville is one of the fastest growing cities in America. I had to get a second job. So in the daytime, I would work in the community centers. In the nighttime, I'd be in FedEx in one of those tubs throwing boxes. And I did that for almost 10 years before I uh, got into actual management. Okay. Yeah, man. And so that's what kind of led me on this journey to... Becoming an organizer, a community organizer and activist, you know, um, and me working in the community centers. Yeah. 
I'm on the front lines of poverty every day. Yeah. I went to work in a community like the one that I grew up in. And uh, a couple of things happened. You know, uh, I'm seeing people struggle to make it every day. You know, I uh, my job, I told you, supposed to be doing Girl Scouts, Boy Scouts, all those good things. My job ended up being passing out food boxes to people who were getting food boxes in between work. You know, and we were connected to a community center, I mean, to a, a school. The teachers would text me like, can you put me a food box to the side? That has a societal issue when that's happening. So, so sorry, let's, let's uh, run that my back. Bad. Yeah, I'm talking no, about no, that. no, 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 no. <laughs> this is perfect. But the, the thing I want to run back. So you're telling me that the teachers who we entrust the, the safety of our kids and they would need a livable wage. They would need the support. The people we're counting on to support and raise our kids were reaching out to you for support and help. Like, make, make it make sense. I'm sorry, but like... Five, five days out of the week, we had to run the, uh, the food bank, is what we called it. Yeah. Four of those days, for three and a half hours, just to suffice. We was averaging anywhere from three to 400 families a week. And where, <laughs> it, you know, like, the community center I worked in was across from the projects. And so, of course, there's a stereotype, and you're thinking that everyone that you're feeding is in the projects. A lot of people were, but everybody who's coming had uniforms on. Yeah. These people were coming in between jobs to get a food box. Now, here I am, another city employee, and I'm getting to know all the rest of our city employees, the people who pick up our trash, our social workers, the people who do the support jobs in libraries and all those things, not by going to their institutions where they work, because they got to come into the community center to get a food box. You know, yeah. uh, that plus the first kid I met when I uh, went over to Napier Community Center. Yeah. Because you know, every hood had a community center, right? He died in my arms a year and a half later, <sighs> you know, and it's just like undue craziness. Right. And I think um, that plus the fact I got tired of going to court, I had kids who were stealing cars, you know, things like that. And right. What killed me is no one ever asked the question, Why? Why? No one ever asks why, you know, and there's always this rumor that you get two bands, $2,000 for those who don't know what bands mean. Yeah. You know, if you steal a car. And uh, I had a kid, who was a straight A student. Yeah. His, um, his uh, mama rented, the house got sold to a developer, developer decided to triple the rent overnight. Of course, they had to get out. That's right. You know, um, she works at, um, at another, she worked at our welcoming center, our convention center. At one of the kiosks, that was her job. And at nighttime, she worked at Waffle House. You know, she's doing best that she can. And um, son decided he was going to try to help mom so he could stay in the place and pay the, you know, pay the rent. Yeah. He got in trouble trying to steal a car. Straight A student. So, you know? and, and you, you just said something. You said no one ever asks why. No one ever and asks. I, I think, you know, often when I'm, I'm um, either thinking to myself, even when I'm talking to people, talking to my clients, I'm a firm believer that nobody just does anything for no reason, right? Whether we agree with it or not, right. nobody just gets up and starts shooting people just because. Um, yeah. You know, there's a, there's a why there. And, and often, you know, as we think about it in the context of the policy plug, we sit at this space of not just being able to uh, castigate people or dehumanize, but part of it is if we're going to bring policy solutions, we have to understand why. I, I love that you uplifted it, you know, and kind of uplifted that. Yeah. Uh, real quick, a lot of attention and a lot of news has recently, you know, come on Tennessee, <laughs> more specifically Nashville and Memphis. 
And before we get to talking about the Tennessee Three and all the other stuff, I think that um, you know, like I know, narratives matter. Yes. Um, and so a lot of people may have only had, unfortunately, their first encounter with Tennessee generally at the murder of Tyree Nichols. Um, and then, you know, the Tennessee three in this, but like paint a picture for us. What is Nashville? You, 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 you know, you're from Nashville. Take us into Nashville. What, what is, what's that space like? I'm glad it was painted that way. Okay. Um, because I think that's the type of energy I want people to enter Tennessee with. And like, there are problems that need to be fixed because, um, Nashville, um, is the capital of Tennessee. Uh, it is the most populated, the most, prog- I would say, progressive or diverse city in the um, state. Um, but we paint ourselves of being diverse and progressive, but I always challenge it because I don't know if we really are that. You know, mm. in the South, mm-hmm. we're soaked in a lot of niceties and tradition, which yeah. come directly out of slavery. Yeah. You know, and a lot of that too is us not uh, speaking directly and clearly about the issues that we have. You know, uh, Nashville is one of the, is the, probably the most diverse city in Tennessee, but it's also the most segregated, <laughs> you know, and there's right. an issue. And right. um, we've become very good at playing this shell game as though we speak nice publicly and do the surface issues of social justice, right? That will keep people not focusing on the economic issues. That's the undergirding of all this craziness, which is absolutely, you know, the, most diabolical racism that we have going on today. Yeah, yeah. You know? So we're not doing the soul work, is what you're saying. Like, no, they're, they're, we, we, we are we, not. They're not those, you know, now we've got those of us who are trying to do the work right. and try to bring about change. But um, overall, no. That's why I started by saying, prefacing it, I appreciate that. I mean, with all due respect to Tyree Nichols, a man shouldn't have lost his life. Right. With all due respect to what happened at Covenant, you know, yep. with the Tennessee Three. But I don't know the good Lord work in mysterious ways. And so I'm tired of Nashville being painted as this wonderful, I mean, the state of Tennessee and Nashville is the same. Right. As to this wonderful place where country music stars come and you feel down home in the South. It's bullshit. You know, like a lot of people, that's a good feeling. It's like white Atlanta. (laughs) Okay. Okay. It's a good feeling for white people in that way. But, you know, that's not the truth. It's, you know, it's the Mecca for the civil rights movement. Yep. And as we have learned from the civil rights era, you know, in this past, what now, 60, 70 years, so I have white people. And all it did was acquiesce and made their racism, you know, a lot more subtle or complex to figure out. Okay. Yeah. Here on the policy plug, we try to make sure that we humanize the people who okay. are influencing policy. I mean, you are definitely, you know, our main point is that everybody has a space to influence and impact policy, but you've definitely been influencing policy. Uh, part of how we humanize it is by building these connections. So, so you know, quick question. Uh-huh. Um, what is the last book you read? Oh, um I think it was, oh, I can't think of the actual name of it. I literally brought it. It's when, um, was it when, is it when socialism was white? I cannot think of the name of I it. I do know of that, that title. I can't think of the author. Yeah. 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 But it's a very good book and it talks about, it's talking about FDR. Okay. Yeah. came home from the war. Yeah. And how, you know, the, the new deal. 
Yep. And us handing out all these big, uh, you know, government programs and how white people got a, a leg up, a foot up in society and how they got to build, you know, generational wealth. Yep. Apologies, I can't, that is, it's not if socialism was white, when, when, uh, oh, when affirmative action was white. Was white, okay. Yeah, yeah Okay. Another, it's a really good book. I suggest recommend everyone it. read it, yeah. Okay. Um, what's the last, or what show are you watching right now? Show, TV show, movie? Um, I have not had a lot of uh, time, but I would say I, I'm trying to watch, what's it, Swarm? Yes, is that on Netflix? No, no I think it's on, um, it's on Prime. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. So I'm trying to, I cut it on and saw the first 10 minutes, it was like, okay. Right, I'm right. I'm back to this. My so. queue is, is stacked, so I'm going to have to add that. Yeah, I'm going to have to really add good. that to the space. So I hear it's really good. I'm, I got to finish it. Okay. Yeah. And you said you played volleyball? Well, in college, I played, bas- I played basketball right. and track, but, you know, growing up, I played everything. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I played volleyball and played okay. volleyball through the college. Okay. Yeah, okay. definitely. Uh, look, I was, I was a libero once I was okay. in college, being short, you know. I got you. Yes, yes, yes. Also, basketball, point guard, being relegated. I was, I was a point guard as well. You know, God stole my height that I was supposed yeah. to have. So. That's crazy. I'm, I'm a 5'11", and I'm the shortest female in my family. <laughs> Let's run that back. The shortest female? I'm the shortest female in my family. It goes up from here. It goes up. Yikes. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. So um, let's delve into, and I really actually want us to clap it up in this moment because you took a big step not long ago. It's mm-hmm. not easy to determine that you're going to run for office, right? And that, that, that takes a lot of boldness. Um, it's a challenging space. Um, but you made a, a big step and I want to unpack kind of that decision, like what made you run, but I, I do, I want to clap it up uh, to you. Thank you. Appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You know, as thank a, you, as a you. black woman in this space, um, and knowing, uh, you know, how challenging where we're talking about resources and funding yet you made the decision kind of why, why, what made you want to run? What take us behind why it was necessary. Stress. Mm. I think uh, I was originally approached about running for office in 2018. Okay. Uh, it was by a group called Justice Democrats. And at that time, we had to go back a little bit. In, uh, in 2015 is when Nashville started to have this narrative around this city is changing. It's become a very transient city. And we wanted to have leadership that more reflected who we are as a city, you know, because I will say Nashville was trying to make some type of some changes. And within that, you know, uh, I had been at Napier Community Center for almost two years. And uh, when this was starting to happen, I had already lost six young people to gun violence. You know, I didn't even know I was depressed until I walked into and it don't snow in the snow in the south. Like we get half a inch and right. we close everything right. down. Right. So it had an ice storm and I got st- stuck in the house with my kids for three days. And I don't know if any of you have ever stuck on a stepped on like a Lego with your bare feet. Yes, like I have killed somebody. <laughs> right, bro. That little that made me get out the house and go to this meeting. They were talking about the three things that were impacting my life. You know, and that is the we got to do something about the criminal justice system Mm -hmm. because I was sick of police too, just stepping in and not showing up when we actually need you. Right. You know, and just brutalizing young black boys for no good, no good reason. 
The second thing is that, you know, um, that meeting told me that I was underpaid for the work that I do. Yep. That we don't have an unemployment problem. We have a problem where we do not pay people the value needed for them to, you know, not struggle and live the quality of lives that they need to live. And third, what's happening uh, is that we had we had a huge housing problem uh, crisis. Everybody and mama wanted to move to Nashville because of that damn show, you know, and we didn't have the infrastructure growth to keep up with that. Yep. So for eight years in a row, as a city employee, I never got a COLA, and that's sort of for cost of living adjustment. That's right. Okay. You know, but my insurance premiums were going up. Right. Mind you, I told you I got debt, I got kids, I got baby mama drama, you know, right. so openly quick, gay black woman, so single. Oh, Wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> Go ahead and wink one more time. Let's look. Nah, but, but all those things, the stress, you know, I'm working two jobs. We got right. all those things going on. And so as I started to plug into more of individuals who were already doing social justice work, because I didn't even know that was like a job. I thought that was for Martin, Malcolm, and Gandhi. I had no idea that you could like, it was a thing that you could do. Not to interrupt you, but let's park right there. Because sure. I think a lot of people especially young black people mm-hmm. are right where you just said that. Like, I don't, I didn't think that social justice and that mm-hmm. activism stuff was for me. Like Malcolm and Martin did it or, yes, you know, stories, that's these types. So, yeah. I, I really did. I didn't know, like, I, like, you know, I guess coming, our people coming out of oppression, you know, I was be a doctor, be a lawyer. Yeah. You know, uh, for a lot of us, it's hard because what we see on TV, we want to be actors, we want to be ballers, yeah. all those type of things. Right. Yeah. Those are what occupations and your jobs. I see. You see yourself in the jobs that you see your people in. Right. Yeah. And those are the things I thought of as a job or a career or something that you pursue and how you make money and live every day. Right. And I've seen my, my father worked in the community centers. I know what it looks like to have, rec, you know, to do recreation work. Right. But to see people who 40 hours a day do this type of work, I didn't know it was a thing. And I did it free for years, you know, just because it needed to be done. We didn't have any people. We had people who were advocating right. for the issues that I and the communities that I represented were going through, but no real plug because they didn't have a shared experience of that. And so having the ability to be able to speak well on behalf of what we're going through and then connect people with those who were really trying, who could, you know, needed help, uh, it helped me just become very good at talking about the stories because I see them every day. Right. So what happened is, is that Justice Democrats approached me after I made a speech that went viral at the Women's March okay. in 2017 about running because by that time we had had, you know, we had some dominant narratives going because you were right. I'm like, the issue is, is that we don't have dominant narratives that people can hold on to. Right. That kind of keep them guided into where the problems are. And so um, after that, you know, I was like, nah, I'm not about to run for office because what I also seen too is that we start making changes between 2015 and up to that point in 2018, those three years I've been learning social justice work and being part of the activist community is that I saw people who were starting to like make some change, but the moment they get some notoriety or some visibility, they move on to the next thing. And I'm not shading them, right? but you leave a hole. right? And Nashville's my home. It's where I was born and raised. And obligation and responsibility is hard. You got to sacrifice something. It's messy. So you were thinking about sustainability. You were thinking, thinking about, about the long term. Yeah, and, the, and what that community actually needed. And I didn't want to do that. So I said no to that. So fast forward in 2019, I actually got the courage to leave my uh, job. Okay. And working for Parks and Rec, 
Yep. And we started Stand Up Nashville, uh, uh, an organization, because I wanted to have a social justice org that was looking at social and racial justice through an economic lens because we were missing it. Now, here I am sitting in this community center for 14 years doing backpack drives, coat drives, passing out food boxes. And I got all like United Way and everyone coming in here. I'm like, it's a game for y'all, too. This shit stays cyclical because every time we try to go to the Metro Council to raise wages, yeah. y'all not there with us. Yeah. You know, and that and like we have to talk about the economic undergirding. Like parents will buy their kids their own backpacks. Don't nobody love their kids more than the parents. Right. So how about we take the burden off of them? You can't fix schools. You can't fix inside of school if you can't fix what's outside of school. That's right. You know, and so all these issues, kids getting in trouble. I ain't never seen a kid get in trouble today or a, any individual in that was in the hoods that I was in that had a full-time job. You don't get in trouble when you got a, you got something to work for and do, you know, where's the workforce development? Yeah. All those things are fixed at. Yep. To, to your point, if you take care of some of the socioeconomic drivers, yeah. you'll find that. Yeah. Because I, I don't believe that, you know, definitely this narrative that black people or even Americans are more violent than any other people. But I, when you don't address... Absolutely not. economic issues, they'll find a way to make sure that they're surviving. Absolutely not. Concentrated poverty puts you in desperate situations, and desperate situations puts you in that, right? There's a good Oof. movie called um, Gangs of New York. Yep. And it was New Amsterdam. Yep. It's the exact same thing, and that's what they fought for. It was that's like, right. as long as we got this concentrated poverty everywhere, all of New York is going to be a ghetto. Yeah. And they literally built a gang to enforce the bourgeoisie of New York to give them workforce development and jobs. Yeah. You know? You better put it in political terms. <laughs> well, workforce I, I, development, yeah. Yeah, you know, and like, well, all those things too, plus the fact that, you know, it took them a couple of times to like get me to think about it because also I didn't want to, it's a title. I don't know if I'm fit or to do that type of, you know, to be an elected officer, you know, in an elected position. So, but roll past me getting to stand up, starting to really understand yeah. politics more and like the undergirding, it gave me a chance to travel, something I never really got to do. You know, we won the first community benefits agreement in Tennessee. It's one of the strongest in the country. And for those who don't know what a yep. community benefits agreement, it is a private deal between usually like a developer or okay. the city and an a, a organization or a private interest. And for us, that was big because we were trying to get affordable housing. We were trying to get wages risen and all these things in the city. But the issue in Tennessee is, is that if Nashville, especially Memphis, which is Shelby County, all right, because they got large uh, pop black populations or minority populations, they'll do something. Yeah. Our state legislature, which is consistently made, is um, majority made up of the small town, rural, racist, xenophobic, homophobic individuals would say no to things, right? And that's called preemption, where the state right. steps in and interferes. Well, the CBA was our workaround of doing that. And we got a lot of huge impacts that were immediately needed for the uh, inner cities of Nashville with that. That's real. So with us doing all that type of work and then we roll into the pandemic, man, Nashville's like the book of Exodus. We had a bombing the Christmas of 2019 uh, going into 2020. Okay. We yeah. had a flood. Yeah. We had a tornado. Yeah. We had a pandemic and the cicadas. Everything in Exodus. Happened that year. Right. <laughs> right. Crazy. You got, yeah, I got all the plays. Yeah. And then George Floyd happened. Right. And you know what, like, the, the national fallout was with George Floyd. Well, as an organizer, one of the issues that we have, which is why I appreciate Policy Plug, is how do we, we're always trying to figure out how to get other people to tap in. 
Right. And to listen and to, you know, build their urgency. Yeah. But when George Floyd happened, it was built. Right. Yep. And so now instead of us being able to slow down with the rest of the world, our candles were being burnt on both ends. Now you fast forward everything that was going on then and we get to November. I was I remember waking up Christmas, I mean no um Thanksgiving morning, tired as fuck. I'm sorry. It's tired as <laughs> no worries. It's tired. Uh-huh. Tired. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, you done already waked for the for the for the grand. Well, yeah. We love it. You know, I was just tired. And I was like, if I'm tired, I know everybody else is tired. Yeah. And uh, feeling a little helpless, a little hopeless, because with all the good work we had done, and I say we, not just Stand Up Nashville, progressive or elected officials who are trying to good work, the Equity Alliance, which is a, a black-led org by started with women. Okay. All the good, and just, just tired, right? Right. We don't know how we're going to get over this hump. We're just still fighting, right? And... I remember seeing our con, um, Jim Cooper, who was our congressman yep. at the time on TV, smiling like everything's good. This man been in office for 38 years at that point. He been he got in the office when I was 10 months old, right? And he's part of the he's what well, he, he probably calls himself a blue dog Democrat, right? And blue dogs is racist too. They ain't nothing but rich racists who don't say the word nigga. You ask me. That's real. And they are very good at coddling black people, you know, because he came to my parent, my uh, parents' church like two weeks before. They, you know how they do the two hand handshake and look right. in the eyes and they brush their teeth that day. Right. And your mama then be like, "Oh, that's a good one." They vote for that motherfucker. I right. Mean, and they ain't they haven't look because they know we don't look at voting records. Right. You know. Say that again. We, gotta we don't look at, look at we don't voting. look at voting records, so you don't understand. And I'm like, it's not the fact that Jim Cooper was a, a bad a bad individual. But we had changed and we have more urgency and we need representatives at the federal level because at the federal level, your job is to be an advocate, to be a voice of the temperate of the country. Yeah. You're not being that. So basically, if we're using uh, today's vernacular, that math wasn't mathing. When you're talking about accountability, that math wasn't mathing. The math was not mathing. And so basically all those things came to a culmination of like, where can I be? How can I become a better organizer? And for me, becoming a better organizer meant I was going to accept the challenge to, you know, run for U.S. Congress. Because also, too, I understood at that point, too, that if you're at that level, every vote is there. Nashville would elect me to be their representative. Yeah. But understanding that every vote that I take has an impact, not just on Nashville, but yeah. on L.A. Yeah. Oakland. Yeah. You know, New Mexico, Chicago and all these other places. And that comes with immense responsibility. I'm, I'm, um, and I want to salute the fact that you came to that connection because a lot of activists and organizers can sometimes be like, why even go into a system that has hurt me? And you came, I'm, I'm understanding now as I'm hearing your journey that you came to a spot that your best, highest use towards a movement, um, as you said, that it was the, Pay and equity and disparity, especially mm-hmm. among women. It was the criminal justice system. Yeah. Um, and then it was housing. Yes. That was the driver. And so you connected that the best way at that point that you could start to impact policy was by putting your hat in the ring to go. Absolutely. Run for I used office. to be out there. I would be, I still do now, but at that point, I was really good too at organizing protests and shutting down the streets when right. shit happened, right? Right. Now, remember, I worked in community center. Yeah. Now, we didn't have a good, now, it has a space. 
because you need to show your outrage when unjust when an unjust situation happens, right? That's right. But I come back to work next day and ain't nothing. It's still the same thing because policy. Yes. Is the driver and the function. Yes. Right. Of that outrage and how we adjust and adapt as a society and all those different things. And we are, you know, like that can't be all our outrage and going and having the action in the protest. But we also got to come over here and actually change and shape the policy. Yeah. You know, and so, yeah, I think that from an activist lens of learning that being a good activist, it has its space. But it's got to be one of the spokes or the cogs. Yeah. And two, I didn't like gatekeeping. Like a lot of people talk about Oof. gatekeepers and those yeah. who become the establishment and yeah. them keeping all the power and hoarding all the education and the information. You know, I spent four or five years trying to get these people to know me and me get to know them to be like, ain't nobody trying to like take your shine. We just trying to be a part of an issue. You know, right. And that's not exactly I would say. Because a lot of people say it was our elders. I don't know what elders are like. I had good elders. It took care of me, mm-hmm. you know? And I think it's just like people stay in their silos, right? Right. And by that point, I was 39 years old. And at 39 years old, another thing we did a good job of is like raising another crop of 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23 year olds who got the energy and are ready to go. So like if they That's got beautiful. it in the streets, right, yeah. and are ready to do that type of work on the ground, like... Where can I best fit in that we can all do this? So that's another reason why I was trying to move and like, shit, let me make this road easier for them. If yeah. we can have people who are building policy, maybe they don't have to fight every damn fight. Yeah. And and I know you won't say this, but I'm going to say this. Because, you know, where we are today with the Tennessee Three mm-hmm. is, is important. Yes. Um, but there was a foundation that you and others were setting and the work that was being done to kind of promote the need for policy. And I'm sure that even, you know, both the Justins who are Gen Zers mm-hmm. um, saw you and others and saw in you the inspiration, right? To be able to say, you know what, I'm, I can do something you in this to, agency. You have to ask them. I don't know. You know, yeah. like, because uh, I ain't perfect. Me and Justin Jones, we, we would combat a lot, you know, because I'd be like, I would be too be like, who is he? Where is this dude from? Because he's from right. Oakland or whatever, right? He just went to Fisk. But at the same time, like, he is very um, sincere about doing the work. You know, I would just be like, well, what's the work? Like, yeah. you can sit out there and protest that damn bust all day. That bust don't get us higher wages and housing and all those things, right? Yeah. But you never know. That's why, I, you know, I think maybe with age two getting better, good Lord puts you in the right positions. Right. he was the perfect individual to be in that space. Yeah. And to be able to galvanize the nation again. Yeah. You know, and I, I don't know if I could have done that. And I think that a part of the work, too, is putting egos aside. I met Justin Pearson. I like that like yeah, you 10 know, times. It's just, it is. I met Justin Pearson literally months before at a fundraiser um, at an interfaith group, you know, and I was like, who is the kid who's talking a lot? Like, he can rap a good game. <laughs> yeah. And they were like, it's Justin and all that. We had a lawmaker who passed away yeah. in Memphis, and he was able to step in and, and get the seat. So I hadn't, I'd met him once or twice before then, probably, you know, but I didn't really know him. Right. You know, I know a lot of people wanted me to endorse his campaign. And I feel iffy about it because I'm like, I don't know him. He might right. not even want me to, you know, endorse him like that. But he too is another individual was able, you know, to like remind people of what you talk about, of our humanity. That's right. You know, and put that on the measuring stick of how Tennessee is behaving in yeah. that manner. Um, yeah. As we hop then a little more to the Tennessee three. Mm-hmm. 
part of my frustration, especially as a strategic communications for an expert gets paid for it, yeah. is this bad game of telephone, right? <laughs> that happens in any story. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, and and media. Mainstream media, all these other media outlets can sometimes unintentionally or even intentionally, you know, push these yeah. things. And so there's a lot of talk about uh, what happened with the Justins and Gloria Johnson uh-huh. and, and how that. Um, but, you know, kind of take us into the from my understanding, there was the shooting at Covenant. Yes. And these uh, young people were protesting and pushing momentum for gun control laws Uh um, and policies because they, just like in every other space of this country, which is ridiculous, we have, you know, school shootings, mass shootings, all these other things. Mm -hmm. And so they are taking that righteous energy um, and they're trying to protest. But take us behind what happened that led to the Justin's being ousted gotcha. and and the uh, um and even Gloria Johnson them losing their committee gotcha. assignments. Okay, yeah. Um, so yeah, basically the covenant shooting takes place and it happens, and a lot of us are our parents. I have children. There are other organizers who are well known and established doing work. You know, they have children as well. And basically, what happened is is that you had a bunch of high school students who were outraged and some college students who were outraged. You know, and they started calling and wanting to do this thing. And they had a march like that Thursday after the Covenant shooting and thousands of people came out and wanted to do it again and have another march. And so that Monday um, or even that Thursday, I wasn't involved in it from their perspective because I had other things uh, that were going on. Yeah. But uh, we had a lot of activists behind the scene that made sure that there was like in, in the South, y'all, especially in Tennessee, it goes down. Half the people who was in January 6th, they found them in our backyard. Right. In Nashville, you can go 30 miles in any area, in any direction and hit a militia camp. It's not a game. You know, people don't need to need to understand that. Right. We have people in office who literally got elected off of running and saying, I was part of January 6th. And like one in landslides. Right. Just to get you under the mentality, right? Yeah. Okay. So with that, when we think about organizing or we're thinking about having rallies and actions where the Oath Keepers and the Proud Boys are 24-7, there is a whole nother level of like safety or especially when it comes to like our children who don't want to lead these rallies has to be involved. Now, of course, there's also that double standard. It was a pissed off white kids out there. You know, so that means you're bringing out all their parents, too, right. and they, right. you know, they're going to make sure nothing happens. Like, you ain't even got to say it. It's an unknown thing. Like, you touch on my kids, yeah, it's yeah. going it's down. Yeah, yeah, it's the unspoken. Yeah. It's the unspoken, right? So you had thousands of white kids that were out there, but with that said, too, like, you, kids can be impulsive. You got college students that might want to start something, you know, and all those things. Large protest happens Monday, more than I expected, because we've been the whole weekend talking to everyone to make sure things were good, Right. I think close to 10,000 people showed up. Wow. So if you get into the Capitol chamber, yeah. Um, you know, we filled up the outside lobby cuz you can't get into the chamber. It was deafening. You could not hear anything in the chamber, which is a good thing. Like yeah. let it be known, right? You had media everywhere. We like make sure they know that this is a problem and they the kids showed up and showed out. What happened is is that you got Justin, Justin, Gloria, they're inside. And they're talking about the most mundane bill at the time. 
you know, and they're like, there's no way we're going to talk about this. And we can't even hear each other with what's happening out there outside those doors. Right. Uh, the call for a recess. Justin Jones comes out and he's talking to one of um, one of our best um, leaders in uh, Nashville, Tennessee, Tequila Johnson, who's head of the Equity Alliance. OK. And she's he's like, they keep cutting off my mic. Tequila handed him her daughter's bullhorn. Right. And so he goes back inside with the bullhorn is still in recess. They come out of recess. Um, he tried to speak. They cut his mic off again. At that point, him, Justin Pearson and Gloria Johnson came to the well. All right. So you got a representative out of Nashville, a representative out of Memphis and a representative out of Knoxville, Tennessee as well. OK. All right. And they were speaking. And then, of course, that's when it became grounds for expulsion because they interrupted what was happening on the floor. And then y'all know what happened after that. They yeah. had the hearings and everyone in it, because that's where I think I'm a little tired now. Okay. Because when that happened, it's like, now, not only is this now about covenant, but this just on good GP. Like, we ain't about to let you just, you know, expel people for what is a problem. Like, you ain't just about to try to, like, push your power and racism on us. Like, right. we ain't no, on no damn plantation. So if right. we're going to fight, we're going to fight. And I think everyone in that moment was just in fight mode. Like, it is what it is, right? Yeah. Thousands and thousands more people came out, you know? And um, they expelled Justin and Justin, and Gloria kept her seat. So the right. two black men got a spell. Yep. The white woman didn't, you know? And to uh, her credit, she was like, of course this is racism. Right. You know, and what happened? And of course... Um, that became national news, as it should have, of media what happened. And then Justin and Justin, as you saw, they ate their asses alive. Right. You know, right. when they right. got, uh, um, during the whole hearing. So yeah. that's pretty much what it was. What does, it, last two questions. Sure. What does sustainability then look like to you? Because from my understanding, while both the Justins were reinstated by their city council, mm hmm those were in an interim capacity and they still there's still a special uh, uh the elections that need to happen to to make yeah. them permanent correct yeah but they're gonna win and so how do we you know how how can people make sure then that this just doesn't become this moment this flashpoint and oh, then they just kind of uh we're good like what does sustainability in your mind look like where do they go from here that is a good question and I don't have one succinct answer, but I can tell you now, Justin and Justin are good. I've never seen that type of money flow in. I'm pretty sure their coffers are filled. Good, you know. Um, anyone, too, it would be political death to run against them right now. Okay. You know, so hire a political consultant if you're thinking about running against Justin and Justin so they can save your life. Right. That'd be dumb. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Um, but I think that how we, this movement, or... This becomes sustainable is people understanding that this was just like a siren to wake people up. Mm. And all those things I talked about earlier are still the issues. Yeah. In the state of Tennessee, Tennessee is not a red state. Tennessee is an oppressed state. We don't vote. Say that again. Sorry. It's, that needs to be picked up. Say that. Tennessee is not a red state. Tennessee yep. is an oppressed state. Okay. And the reason why I say that is because if you look at 2012, 2014, 16, 18 data, right? Um, races that we were losing by 30 and 40 points in 2020, we was losing by four and five points because people had the time to plug in, slow down. Like rushing people is a 
a tool of the oppressor as well because you can't make good, thoughtful, insightful yeah. decisions, right? Yeah, it's a part of their strategy. It's part of their strategy. And all those things changed in 2020. So I bring that round circle to say as far as sustainability is, is that if we're thinking about voting, we got to have organizing in the rural small towns of Tennessee because those places are oppressed as well and they don't vote. We're third from last in the country in voting, right? And then if you're thinking about it from how we like leverage our power, understanding that, you know, uh, first of all, mental health is mental wealth. And I think that it's got to be one of the biggest foundations. Yeah. To, so that our people or oppressed people or minority groups can have the wherewithal to like be in this fight, you know, and yeah. think about the economic undergirding that is happening in all these different spaces that causes us to have housing issues, that causes us to have criminal justice issues and all those different things that happen. Yeah. You know, so if you ask me, all these millions of dollars that are flooded in, I'm hoping that we see it show up or manifest in some type of way in those two aspects, as far as the voting toward like rural areas, so we can get them voted because they voted Democratic all the way up to 2000. Yeah, you know the real evil is that the Republican parties started started doing their um, their recruiting from pool pits, you know, and so what they did is that for 20 years they were patient and connect started connecting people's identity to their racism and they you know right. which is why we have these issues today. Yeah. But when we start talking about how we leverage the power and the political will that we do have, it's got to come to us thinking about how do we make space for those of us who live this life every day to be able to tap in and engage instead of disengaging. Yeah. And that's the best answer to give you because I don't know. If I had oh, the no. right answer, I would implement it tomorrow. Listen, <laughs> this, and this is where we'll land. We'll land on the issue that you've brought up a number of times. And, and, and what I've come to find is it's very much something that you see as critical. And that's that economic equity piece. Mm-hmm. Um, in Tennessee, uh, you know, the, the Tennessee Titans looking to have a new stadium. Um, and, and even if I think about L.A. or countless other cities, we know kind of how this goes on. You're mm-hmm. going to pit the new, very expensive space in the midst of a space that's not enjoying yeah. economic prosperity and somehow that the wealth transfer Yes. Doesn't quite happen. Um, you know, well, it does happen. Okay. So the wealth, that's the problem, right? So, and I'm, I'm sorry, I mean, because, yeah, you no, off, no, absolutely. But it doesn't happen in the way you're thinking about it. It's absolutely a wealth transfer, but it's a wealth, it's a wealth transfer of our public dollars to private interest. Right. Instead of it being our public dollars to public resources and the public goods that we need. Right. And that's exactly what's happening. That's a little bit of what I think is scary for me. With everything that has happened, it's on the surface with the Tennessee Three and the Covenant shooting, right? You know, it's like um, we forget the things that have an immediate impact on our everyday life. Mm. Right now in the city of Nashville, we could possibly give out the largest tax subsidy in the history of Tennessee just so the Titans can build a damn stadium to get the Super Bowl here. Right. He didn't even make it to the playoffs last year. Anyway, it's, just, it's irritating. <laughs> right. You know, because the last time this happened, I was in the seventh grade. I didn't have any choice in that, but I'm I'm left with the burden of holding it. Right. You know, I think one of the questions I've heard you uh, y'all talk about all the time is like, what does policy mean to you? Yeah. Policy is nothing more than a measuring stick of how well we're tapped into our humanity. Right. It's supposed to be the oh. indicator of that. Uh, I'm sorry, you've got to say that again. Well, <laughs> you've got to say that again. To me, I mean, and that's just from my opinion. Yes. 
Yeah. I think it's the measuring stick of how well we're tapped into our humanity. Uh, if you think about it right now, it's one of the reasons I wanted to run for office. We have a lot of policies, right? Yeah. That produce numbers. Yeah. We don't have policies that heal issues, that make people whole, right? Girl, you better and, preach on here. <laughs> but with that said, that's what's happening again. And our public dollars are supposed to go toward resources that are supposed to alleviate some of the stress and pressures from our life. But they're adding them to that because, you know, um, I, I think... Uh, I don't know, Stephanie from the Collective Pack, uh-huh. yeah. Yeah. one of the things that she talks about all the time, that the only way we change policy is to change policymakers, right? That's right. You That's know, right. so all those things are happening right now, and I'm afraid that we can end up in a situation where we don't have money for, in our local governments where real change happens, yeah. you know, to fund our schools. Yeah. We don't have money to give a cost of living adjustment. Yeah. Because when they gave it all to the damn Titans. Yeah. You know, the, the owner of the Titans, when last time I checked, was over five or six billion dollars. That's nine zeros. Yeah. Average individual in uh, the state of Tennessee makes less than 60,000. That's that's four zeros. If you're right. On, you know. Right. So, you know. Yep. The person would that the person with nine zeros wipe under her balls with that sixty thousand, right? And it, we about to give her our money, right? So a lot of this too, like you talk about, is narrative and reframing of it so that people can understand it. Yeah. So what we try to do is give our listeners, our viewers, the 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 folks that's part of the pub, uh, you know, the uh, policy plug family, mm-hmm. some action items, some takeaways. And I think what's most fitting, and and like I said, what's most inspiring to me in hearing your journey was that. You decided to run. Yes. Um, and would have won. And also that almost won, did not win. And I'll say did not win yet, right? Yeah. Did not win yet, but yet you're still doing the work. Absolutely. You're still here plugging away to make the community work. Could you just like, what would you say to people in Nashville okay. who, similar to you in that space, the activists, the people that are doing the work, Everybody may be running is not for everybody, mm-hmm. but like for those, you know, what 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 would you say they may want to consider? Why should they consider maybe putting their hat in the ring and running for some sort of office, whether it be school board or or, you know, Congress or or a judicial seat. Right. I got a, a, a you. Judge. I'm a little different. I don't think everyone should put their their hat. I mean, yeah, not everyone agreed. should run. Agree. Because we have to like learn what our lanes are. Yeah. Right. Um. But those of you who who I am a strong component now, I think that I am only interested in candidates, especially out of the South, who have been in the activist arena. I'm tired of lawyers, doctors, or anyone else. I'm, I want those because when you're an activist or a community organizer, you literally have to figure out how to do what's best for others or yeah. your job don't work. Yeah. And so I would say those who think that they are convinced that they have under, they understand what that means, you know, um, you should definitely throw your hat in the ring because there's nothing like shared experience. Yep. And not, you don't have to be perfect to be a lawmaker in my book. You know, you don't have to be the smartest person in the room to be a lawmaker, but you do have to give a damn about the person beside you. Yeah. You know, so that's what I would say to those who are trying to run for office and two. Um, get good people around you. You know, I was blessed to have people around me who knew about electoral politics in a way that I didn't. It was a, a, a huge learning curve for me. Yeah. And who also were able to 
educate me while I went through it. You know, that's why I love people like Stephanie and Quentin in the collective pack. Yeah. Um, they also, too, they connected me to other individuals who I had written off, you know, thinking because I just see like their title and what yeah. I assume is to be. Yeah. And, and they up against. Man, it's it's a hard game, brother. Yeah. When this you're trying to fight power and racism and oppression. Yeah. And everyone's just trying to do their piece. So I was like, instead of me just riding them off, how can I be a bridge, you know, and make better connections so that we all can like move forward? Yeah. Well, listen, thank you from the bottom of my heart for being a part of this episode. Uh, thank you for having and me. And I'm proud to know that you're out there doing the work. We are do know that we're the better because of people like you <laughs> who have been landed up. Let's clap it up for thank Odessa Kelly. Hey. So listen, you know, you all at home, we have just talked about and had a dynamic episode on, yet again, the intersection of politics and policy. Um, and one of the biggest takeaways that I want you to understand is, uh, as Odessa said, there's a lane for everybody. You get in where you fit in. And for some of you, that space is by making the decision to run for office because representation matters. And we believe here at the Policy Plug that you'll get no better experts than the directly impacted. And so, you know, take... Take that as you will. Take that step of courage. Know that, as even Odessa said, when she took that step, she found that there were some people that supported her, some people that had her back. Everybody's not against you, and the right people will resonate with your message. So here at the Policy Plug, this is the space where we humanize the people who influence policy, and we bring the policy to the people.